Are you excited you came to church this morning? Amen. Amen. It is so good to gather together and to worship our great God with family, with brothers and sisters. We spend a lot of our week with our, yes, our physical families, but to come together as brothers and sisters in the Lord and to lift up the name of Jesus and, and to sing our gratitude to him for his work among us, there's, there's nothing like it. Can you imagine what glory is going to be like? Every tongue, every nation, every tribe singing and worshiping together, it's going to be something amazing. And I'm so glad we get to rehearse what that's going to be like each Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to talk about house rules this morning. We all had them growing up. And if you run a home, I'm sure you have them now. And I'm sure even as you begin to think about house rules, some of the more familiar and repeated ones from your childhood or from your home right now are starting to come to your mind. Perhaps you have some like I have in, in my home. When you take off your shoes, don't just leave them in the middle of the entranceway so people can trip over them. If you empty the milk bag and leaving a drip is emptying the milk bag, you have to replace the milk container. Right? Amen. Exactly. <laughs> April, my youngest daughter, is at snow camp and she is guilty of that all the time. Wow, what a kid. Right? What about this one? We have two little blue boxes in our kitchen that we put recycling and then they get transferred to the big blue boxes outside. Here's a rule I'm making now because I'm tired. <laughs> if you see the little blue boxes are full, please don't creatively see how many cans and boxes you can balance on top of them. <laughs> just empty them, please. Because I open up the back door and a wind gust comes and I'm just like, really? And the skill and creativity of how they can balance these cans is phenomenal. It's crazy. And I can remember growing up, I still hear my mom and dad's voice in the back of my head if my brother and I were heading out to the front lawn to play soccer or cricket. The last thing we would hear from them, just stay away from the windows. I can tell you how many times in the intense heat of a game, it's like all the birds stopped singing, everything went silent, Everything went slow motion as we watched the ball heading for the window. <laughs> and as soon as it hit it, psh, our natural reaction, drop everything and run as far away as you can. <laughs> Where we were going to go, there's a six-foot cement wall surrounding our house. I don't know what we were thinking, but that's what happened. Well, last week we learned that Moses started his second sermon by reviewing the Ten Commandments. He reviewed the Ten Commandments, which outlined the stipulations of their covenant relationship with the Lord. And he encouraged that second generation of Israelites who were on the move towards the promised land to be careful to do what the Lord, their God, had commanded them. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Then in verse 33 of chapter 5 and verse 2 and verse 3 of, of chapter 6, he gives them four reasons why they should obey, and each reason that he gave them started with the words, so that. He said, be very careful to obey what the Lord your God has commanded, so that you may live and prosper, and your days may be prolonged in the land that you will possess. Secondly, so that you, your children, and their children will learn how to fear the Lord by obeying his decrees and commands. Thirdly, so that you may enjoy long life. 
And fourthly, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. What an appealing contrast to the desert where they have been wandering for 40 years eating manna and quail. God had so many blessings in store for that generation if they would just be sure to follow the commands of the Lord. And now in chapter 6 this morning, we're going to see he gives them the ultimate motivation why they should be careful to live in obedience to their God. And that motivation needs to be our greatest priority as well. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. And you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. And in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. May God bless his word to us this morning. You may be seated. In these verses, we see that the ultimate motivation for living life in obedience to God is to be love. Love for the Lord your God. In fact, Jesus, when he was asked by an expert in the law, what is the greatest commandment? In his answer to that that Pharisee, actually quoted from this passage, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And so Moses, in this second sermon, wanted this generation to get just how privileged they were to enjoy a relationship with God. And they were not to take that for granted, but rather they were to embrace it with grateful hearts 
and loyal devotion to the Redeemer, the Covenant Lord. And so this morning, we want to look at the topic of the greatest commandment, our greatest priority. And I want to highlight three realities of loving the Lord through obedience. The first reality is it must involve our whole being. Our love for the Lord must involve our whole being. Did you notice or did you hear as we, as we read that chapter in verses 4 to 9, the six imperatives that he said to them, hear, love, talk, impress, tie, write. Loving the Lord must involve our whole being. They were to hear, to listen carefully, and live in light of the fact that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You see, as God's chosen people, they were to respond in obedience to God exclusively, without compromise, because their God is Yahweh, Yahweh alone. And the good news is the God we serve is also a personal God, the Lord our God. He's not just some powerful force out there. And like Moses, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 Verses 4 to 6 declares the uniqueness and exclusive existence of God in contrast to the nothingness of idols. Listen to what Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 8, and verses 4 to 6. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, little g, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many little gods and many little lords. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They were to hear. They were to love. And they were to love in a way that demonstrated their exclusive allegiance to God. Reflect on your past week since we were together. Has your love for the Lord reflected your exclusive allegiance to Him? Moses said, listen, as you're on the move to the promised land, you got to love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Heart, soul, and strength implies with every part of you. Not just with every part of you, but it implies that loving him in this way with your whole being is also very important to you. And loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, there is no half-hearted love. They were to be all in. And as we learned last week, our hearts are the key to loving the Lord this way. Because out of our hearts flows everything. It is the wellspring of our life. This is a love that flows out of our hearts and then permeates every area of our lives. And so Moses wanted them to understand that if their hearts were not in right relationship with God, remember last week we talked about the vertical dimension. If their hearts were not right with God, obedience to his commands would not be a priority which is critical because obedience is what John said demonstrates our love for God. 1 John 5, 3, we read, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Brothers and sisters, in the Bible, love is action. 
You can't say you love God and there be no evidence or action of that love. Action requires intentionality. It requires sacrifice. And they were to love God with their complete being, starting from the inside with their hearts and with their souls, the core of their being, and then moving out to include their physical strength. And these two verses, verse 4 and 5, you may be familiar, are what are known as the Shema. Basically, Israel's pledge of allegiance, their confession of faith. And by learning and reciting it, the Israelites would, in essence, affirm their complete, undivided devotion to Yahweh. And Moses highlights in verse 7 to 9 two specific areas where this kind of love for the Lord their God was to permeate. It was to permeate their homes and it was to permeate their daily routines. Their love for the Lord was to be demonstrated in their homes. How? By prioritizing conversations throughout the day with their children around God's commands. Think back on the last six days. What has been the center of the conversations with those in your household? Has it been around the commands of the Lord? Moses tells them when you sit in your homes, when you walk on the road, when you lie down at night, and when you get up, make sure that conversations around God and how he wants us to live are a priority in your home. This is a love that is to be consistently demonstrated, both in the privacy of our homes and publicly outside of our homes. Look at verse 8 and 9. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What, what is them? Them is verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And it's called to wholehearted covenant love. We cannot be sure if Moses meant for them to take this physical display of allegiance literally or if he was using that kind of language to teach them that, they were to continually prioritize, meditate on, and be directed by the commands God had given them. Why do I say that? We see similar language in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 3. Listen, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. However, we do know that later in Jewish history, these verses were taken very literally by conservative Orthodox Jews and still are today. I'm sure you're aware that you know in conservative Orthodox Judaism, they still have what they call these little boxes, these phylacteries. And in the little box around their hand and in their, on their forehead are verse 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And writing them on the door frames of their houses and gates was to remind this generation that whenever they leave home and whenever they return, that their primary allegiance is to Yahweh. Can I just encourage you? It is a good thing to have reminders in your home of God's word. Amen? I noticed this morning as I was brushing my teeth, there's a sign, trust in the Lord. I went downstairs. As you go into the kitchen, there's a sign, God answers prayer. As you exit out our door, there's a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then this morning, as I was getting ready for church, I was watching the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, and I happened to look above the TV, and I went, ah, 
And Pastor Dwayne and Hannah had given us a sign a, a number of years ago. And what was on that sign? The Shema. Kaufeltz. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. It's a good idea to have reminders in your home of who our allegiance is to. And their love for the Lord was to govern all their activities inside of their home, outside of their home, and serve notice to any guest who was the supreme head of that home. We must be careful not to compartmentalize our lives. Be careful not to live one way here at church amongst believers and live a different way in the workplace. God should, our relationship with God should be natural. It should be transparent and easy for all to see. This was their proper response to his rescuing grace in their lives and should be ours as well. That's why I'm saying, make sure and take your Easter sign and put it on your lawn. And if any of you are here this morning and you're a little bit hesitant about putting that on your lawn, that might be a red flag. Do I really love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength? As one author said, true love for God is rooted in the heart, but it is demonstrated in life specifically a passion to speak of one's faith in the context of the family and to declare one's allegiance publicly to the world through our active obedience. Love for the Lord must include your whole being. Are you loving the Lord with every part of you? Is loving the Lord with every part of you important to you? Are those who watch in your private life and public life seeing the same thing? Are there things in your life that you love more than God? When you have to choose between them and God, which will you choose? The second reality to loving the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength is it must never be neglected. It must never be neglected. I don't know if, if this has been your experience or not, but I have found that when life is good, there's a tendency in me to relax on the intentionality with which I daily show my devotion to the Lord. When life is going really good, I can find myself being a little inconsistent and spending quality time in God's Word. I find myself talking less with Him throughout the day through prayer. The opposite is also true. When I find myself in a crisis, things like job security, loss of a job, maybe it's a health concern, maybe you're struggling with lack of direction, maybe you're having marital problems. How quick are we to run and to spend quality time in God's word and call out to him in prayer? And Moses in verse 10 and 12 warns the second generation, when the going is good, don't forget the source of all goodness. Don't forget the source of all goodness. In James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. When the Lord their God would bring them into the promised land and they start to enjoy his gracious, generous provision. And what did that include? Listen, flourishing cities they did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things they did not provide. Wells they did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves they did not plant. I wish that was a description of the farm Jen and I inherited. Wow, what a blessing that would be. When they are eating and are satisfied, he warns them, be careful. 
Be very careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see, God was going to deliver into their hands the bounty of the Canaanites for their enjoyment. But they were not to neglect their love for the Lord. Daily, we all have to fight the desires of our flesh, don't we? Our old nature is similar to the law of gravity. It keeps wanting to pull us down. And that's why Moses encouraged them to hear, to learn intentionality, and be sure to follow the Lord's commands because, here's the secret, daily demonstrating covenant love for the Lord will guard against pride and self-reliance. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 11, 2 and 3. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, God's blessings, if not handled or stewarded carefully with the right perspective, can become our sole focus, and we can neglect to show our love to the giver of those blessings, our Heavenly Father. And you and I both know with the wealth and excess we enjoy in the Western world, it is easy for us to become very comfortable and self-reliant. Forgetting that everything we have is a gracious gift from God, which is to be stewarded for his glory and for the good of others. And as I was preparing this week, this thought came to my mind. This temptation to neglect and to forget who has given us everything we have extends beyond just our personal, material, and physical well-being. It can even pop up in a church like Calvary Baptist Church. The blessing of spiritual and numerical growth which we are experiencing, if not handled carefully with the right perspective, that God is the one who is causing the growth, will become a test of our loyalty and reliance on the Lord. We must guard against ever becoming a proud, self-sufficient church and keeping the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength will prevent that from happening. And so Moses in verse 13 and 19 shares with them how they are to respond to God's goodness when they enter the promised land. They are to fear the Lord, serve him only, and take their oaths in his name. They were to live in reverence and awe of God, demonstrating that through their obedience to walk in his ways, which would include resisting the temptation to follow the other gods of the peoples that they would encounter in the promised land. And what does it say would help them avoid his judgment on the journey? Remember the Lord your God is a jealous God. Therefore, do not put him to the test. As they had previously done at Massa, you can read about that in Exodus chapter 17, the first seven verses. That's where they were quarreling and complaining with Moses that they didn't have water. You've brought us out here to die. And they must have been a pretty serious group of people because it's in that passage, you see, Moses says, cries out to the Lord, they're going to stone me. Like, we need some water, fast. And so God tells them, strike the rock and I'll provide water for the people. And at the end of verse 7, 
it says that they tested the Lord. And how did they test the Lord? They doubted whether his presence was really with them or not. Can you imagine? Look at all he has done for you. What about the cloud and the, and the pillar of fire? And now you're going to test me and say, I'm not even sure if you're actually with us or not. Brothers and sisters, fear him only. Serve him only. And do not put the Lord, your God, to test. And you know what's ironic? At Massa, their loyalty to God had been tested through hardship. They didn't have water. But now in this generation going on the move into the promised land, their loyalty to God would be tested not through hardship, but through having all kinds of good things and being satisfied. As I mentioned earlier, in the times of crisis, we are tempted to demand a response from God. But in times of blessing, we are tempted to neglect God and rely on ourselves. And it is for this reason that Moses encourages the people in verse 17 to 19. There he says, be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and the decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. How are you doing? How are you doing with stewarding all the good things that the Lord has graciously and generously given to you? Are there any areas in your life as you eat and are satisfied where you are in danger of drifting into self-reliance or compromise? In the blessing, do you acknowledge and thank him for his grace to you? And is that evident by the way you fear him and serve him only? Love for the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength must involve our whole being. It must not be neglected. And the third reality is it must influence the next generation. Do you note the assumption in verse 20? In the future when your son asks you, loving the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their strength by following his commands would catch the attention of their children. Meaning that our love for the Lord through our obedience must be easily seen by the next generation. How do we do that in our homes? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, one of my favorite verses that I try by God's grace to live out each day in front of my family. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. It's not just what Jen and I taught our kids that's going to matter. But it's what they caught watching us live our lives in front of them. Demonstrating how to love the Lord through our actions and words is critical. It is critical for the next generation to witness with their eyes. And Paul in Titus 2 verse 7 describes how to set a good example. Now he's writing in the context of leaders, setting an example for their congregation. But I think the application is transferable to our personal lives. In everything... Again, you can't compartmentalize your walk with the Lord. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. I saw this last night. One of my favorite shows is Lone Star Law. I don't know if you watch it. It's great. It's game wardens who go out and try and bust unethical hunters. And it's crazy. And last night was a classic example of this. This dad was hunting on land. He didn't have permission he had his two boys with him. They had two deer in the back of their truck. And it was the first deer that their sons had shot. It was like this perfect Hallmark movie scenario. Until the game warden came up and said, do you have permission to hunt in this land? 
Uh, yeah, I think my boss would be okay with that. Hmm, first red flag. There's no tags on the deer. Do you have license for these deer? And what ends up happening is they didn't have permission to hunt on the land. They didn't have tags for the deer. The two boys are there, and the game warden felt so bad because he has to do what's right. And so he actually has the two young boys take the deer, their shot, their first deer, take them off their truck, load them onto the game warden's truck so that they can be donated to families in need. And the guy says to the dad, you got to set a good example for your sons. We love that your kids are in the outdoors, but you got to set a good example. And as the camera panned, as the boys are going back to the truck, the little kid at the back goes like this. You know, it's like, man, set a good example. I love this quote I read this week, learning how to love our kids and the next generation begins with learning how to love the Lord. And Moses, one of the parents of that generation to be prepared when they enter the promised land and would face competing cultures, their children more than likely will ask them for an explanation of the way that they live. Have your kids ever asked you, how come their parents allow them to do this? but you don't allow us to do that. Can I give you a fresh perspective on that? Take that as a compliment. Take that as a compliment. Praise God that your kids are noticing that you are living intentionally different, and they see it. Are the values of your home different than those of those in homes that do not have a covenant relationship with God? They should be. Because as God's people, we are called to be holy to be set apart. And notice, I love this, how Moses counsels them how to answer their children in the future when they ask about the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws of God. Because that's often what we go to, right? The rules, the house rules. He doesn't tell them to get straight into the details of the laws, but rather in verse 21 and 23, listen, he tells the parents to first emphasize with their children that their lives, hey, guys, Mom and I, our lives are driven, not driven primarily by a set of rules, but they are driven by God's saving acts on our behalf and our special relationship that we enjoy with them. Isn't that something? Don't go straight to the rules. Go, here's why. What's my motivation? Guys, you need to understand what God has done for us. That's what drives me to obey and follow him. Our love for the Lord through our testimony of his goodness, must be heard by the next generation. Not only must our obedience be seen by the next generation, but the testimony of God's goodness must be heard by the next generation. Psalm 66, verse 16, come and hear, all you who fear God, let me tell you what he has done for me. Psalm 78, 4, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. I can tell you right now, if you were to ask my extended family, all of our, my nephews and nieces, what is the favorite thing you enjoy about visiting Papa and Grandma's house? They will tell you, hearing Papa retell us over and over again of the goodness of God. After prioritizing hearing testimony of God's goodness, Moses in verse 24 instructs them how to answer that potential question that they will be asked in the future when they're living in the land flowing with milk and honey. You see, that future generation needed to be taught that God's stipulations and decrees and laws were given for four purposes. 
Guys, daughters, sons, they were given to govern our conduct. They were given to instill in us a reverent awe for God. They were given to ensure our well-being. And they were given to maintain and sustain our lives. Our love for the Lord through making disciples must be experienced by the next generation. Our kids need to see, they need to hear, and they need to experience discipleship. The Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptize them and teach them to obey everything I commanded, begins in our homes. That's where it starts. And then finally in verse 25, notice the order of the words in verse 25. It suggests that their intentional obedience to the great commandment to love the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their strength will be seen as righteousness. When acts of obedience arise out of genuine faith and fear, God accepts them as proof of righteousness and responds with his blessing and life. And the scriptures are consistent in asserting that no one may perform works of righteousness sufficient to merit the saving favor of God. However, within the gospel of salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, God graciously reveals the standard of righteous living by which his people may live and be confident of his approval. I ask you to evaluate your own life. Is the way I love the Lord and my obedience, am I confident that I will hear one day, well done, my good and faithful servant? Verse 20 to 25 highlight the importance of having intentional strategies for transmitting the truth of our faith and memory of saving action, of God's saving actions to the next generation. And listen to this. Sadly, Judges chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 and 10 Give us a report on how this generation that Moses is teaching about to go into the promised land did in influencing the next generation. Listen to what it reports. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. This was the very next generation after Deuteronomy chapter 6. In only one generation, the people turned away from God. Brothers and sisters, we have a passion here at Calvary Baptist Church to be a multi-generational community of intentional followers of Jesus Christ. As I was thinking this week, we are so blessed by God's generosity to us in giving us another campus across the street at 301. What a blessing that is, where our young adults, our youth, our junior highs can be taught and discipled the ultimate motivation for loving God and taught His commands so that they might obey but as I thought about that that week, as grateful as I am for the gift of 301, it dawned on me, why did that become available? Unfortunately, our brothers and sisters who used to meet in that church 
seem to have missed the importance that our love for the Lord, our God, has to influence the next generation. There was no youth. There was no children. There was no young adults left. And they had to close it. God entrusted that building to us to influence the next generation. And by God's grace, I pray no piece of property he ever gives this congregation will be sold because there is no children, there is no youth, and there is no young adults. So in closing, are the values and practices of your home any different from those who are not in covenant relationship with God? Do your motives and actions affirm that you are in right relationship with God? And listen very carefully to this. We all have to be on board. Are you enabling anyone younger than yourself to become a fully devoted disciple of Christ? The greatest commandment, our greatest priority, because of His great faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy to us this morning. Thank you for speaking to us through the sermon you gave Moses many, many years ago. God, I pray that you would find us totally faithful, devoted to you. Not half-hearted, but with our whole being. Forgive us when we neglect to demonstrate our love for you after all you have done for us. And oh God, please continue to give us a burden and a passion to influence the next generation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Such great faithfulness requires a great commandment. And so for our context this morning, my challenge to each of us is hear, O Calvary, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength this week. That means with your whole being. Don't neglect it and make sure your love for the Lord is influencing the next generation. May God bless you as you go and intentionally follow him this week. For those of you who might want to pray, we'll be at the front, pastors, some of our wives. Please, we'd love to pray with you for whatever God has put on your heart. God bless.